Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the Long Point campus. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to say a special hello if you're joining us in one of the venues or online or at an off-site campus. We are glad that you are along for the ride. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Love Is, where we've been walking verse by verse through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, last week, Pastor Greg spoke on verse 7 because it was Mother's Day, and uh, that verse really captured the heart of a mother. And so this week, we're backtracking just a little bit to pick up verse 6, which starts off by saying, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And so I don't know if there was any association there, if he thought, man, this passage speaks on wrongdoing. We need a guy with some experience. Let's call on Walters. (laughs) Or if uh, I was just up. Either way, I want to say thank you to Pastor Greg. Really honored and excited about the opportunity to be here with you. So uh, let me pray for us, and we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much, God, for this weekend, and I'm uh, just excited to see what you're going to do in the house today, Father. I am uh, thankful for the way that we can come away from just a moment of having been with you with lives that are forever changed. And so we just humbly come before you and ask that this morning, Lord. I pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds to receive your word, God. I pray for me, Lord, that, uh, that I would be found to uh, steward your word well and that you would speak through me mightily. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was my last semester of seminary. It was actually my last class in seminary. I'd been in school for five years, working full-time, going to school full-time. Katie and I had started our family, and in this particular season... We had felt called to move, and so I had resigned from my position. We were trying to sell our house. We were looking for a new house, trying to find jobs here in Charleston, and I just did not have a lot of time to spend, you know, investing in doing well in this class. I was taking the course distance ed, and that means they they send you a packet in the mail with the the course syllabus. All of your exams are in pre-sealed envelopes. There's a DVD of lectures you have to watch and all the instructions for the course And when it was time for me to take my final, I I ripped it open, I got it out, and read at the top, it said, students are not allowed to use their their textbook or class notes in taking the exam. And it was about that time I started thinking, you know, I didn't have to do this. I felt called to a lifetime of ministry, and I wanted to learn as much about the Bible as I could, learn as much about ministry and the Lord so that my ministry would be fruitful. I didn't have to do this. I chose to do this. And as a result, I'm going to choose to be paying for this you know, for the rest of my life, just about it feels like. So the last thing that I want to do is finish this last class, this last exam, and bomb it. You know, I don't want to have to take this class over. I want to, to finish well. Then I started thinking, you know, the instructions said not to use your textbook or class notes. That's it. It didn't say anything about additional resources. <laughs> didn't say students are not permitted to use the Internet. Didn't say students are not permitted to use other books commentaries, just not the textbook, you know? So if they didn't want us using other resources, they should have said so, you know? So I got a book out, and I sat it on my desk and just kind of opened it up and thought, man, I wonder, I wonder what this would be like, you know? So I started taking the test. I got through the first question and pretty quickly got to a, a question that I, I didn't know the answer to. So I kind of flipped the page a little bit and thought, you know, should I, should I do this, you know? And before long, I was, I was looking through the index. I was doing Google searches. 
I was doing everything that I could do to find the answers that I needed to the questions that I was on and then phrase them in a way so that it would sound like I had said it. I wasn't proud of what I did. I knew that, uh, I, knew that I was cheating. I thought I was cheating anyway. They weren't too clear in the instructions. <laughs> so I sealed the test up, I mailed it off, and I thought, man, praise God, I'm through with this. I'm so thankful, I'm so excited to be done with school. Dropped it in the mail. And for a day or two, I really tried hard to kind of stuff that behind me, you know? I don't need to deal with that. I haven't done that before. You know, it was just one time. I'm needing to be done. We're moving. It's a tough season, Lord. You know where we are. But man, he just arrested me on it. He confronted me with it and would not let it go. So Josh, you realize I've called you to a lifetime of ministry. And now every day when you come to do what you were created to do, you're going to see a degree hanging up on the wall reminding you of just how unqualified you are to do it. I'm glad you think that's funny. <laughs> it was actually very painful. And I was like, wow, Lord, okay, I know what I got to do, you know? So I called and made an appointment with the dean, and uh, every single semester started off the same. You know, we talked about the honor code. We talked about the, the consequences of cheating in a master's program. I could be dismissed. I've been in school for five years. So I go in and see the dean, knowing that I'm going to have to own up to this deal, and man, I, I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. It was crazy how I felt it in my heart. I knew what I had to say, and it was like, ah, you know, I just couldn't say it. So we talked in circles, and finally I said, listen, I'm here because when I took the final, it said, and at this point I tried to start phrasing it in a way that would give me forgiveness, you know what I mean? It said students can't use their textbook or class notes, so I didn't do that. But I did use some additional resources, and I feel like that was cheating-ish. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, he talked to me about the consequences of cheating in a master's program, that he could be, I could be dismissed from the program. And he said, Josh, but I feel like in this situation, the Lord's calling me to extend you forgiveness. So congratulations on your graduation. Go and sin no more. And, uh, <laughs> and so I walked out of there thinking like you had read this out of the pages of Scripture. I am the God. Did you see that? You know, I subjected myself to what could have been incredible consequences just to step into the light. I've kind of confessed. Now, I did just tell, I did just tell the dean that I had cheated on, on one of the questions, you know. And so I'm driving away, and literally up to this point, you know, the enemy would confront me with my cheating, and it would feel like a wet blanket had been laid over me. The shame and the guilt that came, he would say, you're a cheater, Josh. You know, I had nothing to, to combat that with, so I had to say, you're right, you know, I am. And that weight was just so heavy. And for a moment, after having confessed to cheating on a question, some of that was gone, you know. I really felt some physical relief of the shame and guilt that I had felt. But it wasn't, you know, an hour or two later that the Lord had confronted me and he said, okay, this is great, Josh. So now you've lied about your cheating. You're going to have to go back and make another appointment with the dean. And I was like, no, we can put this behind us. Lord, we're done with this. You know, but he would not let me go. So I had to make another appointment with the dean. I walk in to see him in the same deal, talking in circles until finally I say, listen, when I came to see you last time, I told you I just cheated on one question. But the truth is, I cheated on every question, you know? <laughs> and I just couldn't tell you that. And uh, so I thought at this point, I had been extended forgiveness the first time. I knew what was coming this time. There was no chance he was going to extend forgiveness to me. But he said, Josh, my, my daughter has just been caught stealing something. And the Lord's been dealing with me 
on how to extend grace to her and forgive her, and in doing so, he's reminded me of just how much forgiveness I've received. So I feel like in this season, the Lord's calling me again to extend forgiveness to you, to say congratulations on your graduation. Go and sin no more. And man, I'll tell you what, in that moment, I felt like I had stepped fully into the light. There was no darkness in me. Our passage for today says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And man, I knew the weight of my sin, the consequences of my sin when I accepted Christ, when I received him as my savior. But in that moment, my consequences were so tangible that to be in the light and truly be free, that there was no offensive way in me, there was nothing that I was hiding, there was no shame that could confront me that I was worthy of, I had stepped fully into the light and the freedom was almost tangible. For the next few days, the enemy would confront me. I'd be riding up the road. He'd say, you're a cheater, you know? And for three, four, or five minutes, I would feel that weight that I had felt before. And then I would remember, man, I confess that. I don't have to carry that anymore. And I was able to stand up in the light and feel that freedom once again. What about you? When was the last time that you were faced with a decision that you knew was wrong? You know, maybe, maybe you were flooded with Scripture. God's Word just came to mind and heart, and you, just, you knew very clearly that this was a sin issue. Or maybe something in your spirit just, just checked you, and you were like, ah, this just isn't right. You know, maybe it was something that you actually did uh, at work. Maybe you've been stealing some things, and you feel like you feel entitled to it. It's not a big deal. You probably don't make as much as you deserve anyway. You've given your whole life to this place, and ink and photo paper and all that stuff is just so expensive. So if I just print my personal stuff off here at the office, nobody's ever told me not to. <laughs> but you do it. You know, or maybe it's on your taxes. You do them at home, and as you're working through, it's hard. What does that stuff mean anyway? You know, you're answering the questions. It's kind of hard. It gets to the point on giving. And you're like, well, that bag of clothes was very valuable to me. You know, <laughs> nobody's going to know, you know, but it's a lie. Or maybe it's not something that you've actually done. Maybe it was more an attitude or a posture of your heart. You know, maybe you're in a season of life that's just very tough for you. You don't particularly like the house that you're living in. It feels small. Or maybe you're in a season where you just don't really enjoy coming home to your spouse. And so for you, it helps you just a little bit to think on your neighbors. To think, man, what would it be like if I was married to him or her? Or if we lived in that house? Or if we had success like that? Now, in full well, that Exodus 20, 17 says, do not covet your neighbor. It says, do not covet your neighbor's house or spouse. Do not covet them here or there. Do not covet them anywhere. <laughs> okay. I have four kids. All right. We're all familiar with that tension. However, if I were to ask you, how many of you delight in wrongdoing? Nobody would raise their hands. That word there in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, also means evil or injustice. So what if I changed the words up for you a little bit and said, how many of you delight in evil? Greenville, come on, you know. <laughs> we wouldn't do it. Injustice, anybody. We know better than to raise our hands. That said, chances are whatever decision that you were faced with, whatever opportunity that you had to compromise, almost came natural to you. You didn't have to work on it or think about it too much an easier way out, a path of least resistance, something that would be more enjoyable to you, came to mind without you having to, to even work much on it. 
We seem to have this, this unconscious competence, this ability to sin without even really having to work on it or put forth much effort. Well, when I look at the verse for today, it seems to highlight this tension and paint a picture for us of two different worlds, both of which are very familiar to me. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We see this theme all throughout Scripture. I think about passages like John 10.10. 10, it says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Romans 8.6 says, The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way. It says, We are a people who have been called out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We see this, this story at play all around us. It's in the, the most engaging movies that we watch, this battle between good and evil. It drives the plot in the books that we read, the good guys and the bad guys, the protagonist and the antagonist. And when we're reading these books or when we're watching these movies, it's easy for us to identify who these characters are and what role they play. But when it's our lives, when we are the character, when we're the ones being observed, we can almost unknowingly step into these areas of compromise where it feels like we have a foot in the light and a foot in the darkness. We want to please the Father, but we're not fully willing to pay the price to do what it takes to do so. The question for us then is how can we live as a people whose hearts are undivided, a people who are focused on living fully in the light? It's crazy to me in looking at this passage because it could literally be anywhere in the Bible. It is the message of the good news. We were a people who were in sin, who were lost, who were separated from God and deserving of death. We were the bad guys. But God, in his great love for you, sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to be the light unto the world that we could be rescued and redeemed and restored into having a relationship with him. This verse fits anywhere in the Bible. Yet it's found in what is biblically the most descriptive and concise uh, definition of what love is and is not. The question for us is, we know what it looks like to live with integrity, to be a people that are honest, to have hearts that are undivided, but what does it look like for us to love with integrity? A few thoughts on it here. Number one on your outline sheet. I can love with integrity when I recognize the danger of wrongdoing. I can love with integrity when I recognize the dangers of wrongdoing. I love to take my kids to the grocery store. Um, it's different every single time. Some days when we go, they're excited to get in and find one of the carts with the little steering wheels, the airplanes on them. Some days they're excited to go in and get the, the kitty cart. Some days they want to rush in and get a balloon. Other days they want to rush in and get a sugar cookie. It's different every single time. I'll send them on... Um, reconnaissance missions. I'll say, girls, I need you to go to the end of this aisle, see which cereals, buy one, get one free, and report back to daddy. You know, the best kind. <laughs> Every now and then, I'll send them on special ops, and these are the most exciting kinds, because I'll say, girls, I need you to go to the end of that aisle and pick up crumbled feta cheese. You got to remember that. It's on the top shelf. You're going to have to ask somebody to help you. Daddy's going to be here watching. Go, you know. <laughs> They'll run over there. They're looking for people to ask for help, you know. We have so much fun. It's different every single time, but one thing that stays the same is I have to make sure that Abel is the last one to get out of the car. Because as soon as his feet hit the ground, man, he's got some giddy up. You know, he's excited to get inside. He knows it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm constantly saying, Abel, hold daddy's hand, buddy. Abel, hold Anna Jay's hand. Abel, you've got to hold Abigail's hand. And you know, if he could reason with me, he would probably say, Dad, come on. 
I'm excited to get inside and do the thing you want us to do. This is going to be fun, you know? The truth is most kids could probably use a little more running, Dad, you know? (laughs) But what he doesn't understand, the error in his way, the danger in his wrongdoing, is that he hasn't listened to the Father's voice. I have a perspective that's very different from his. The truth is that in in a parking lot, five or six steps in front of us could cost him his life. In any moment, a car could pull out of a parking space and run him over, totally not even seeing him. A high schooler could come pulling around the corner and, and, and hit him. We have golf carts in Mount Pleasant that are jacked up high enough that could, could really harm him in some ways. What if I told you that the areas of compromise that you were entertaining, the lies that you felt justified in, the sins that you had convinced yourself were okay, were going to bring about a death of some kind in your life? maybe financially or or relationally or professionally, there were going to be consequences for you. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. What you've rightfully earned, what's lawfully yours, the outcome of your wrongdoing is death. You may not be able to see the big picture or connect the dots or understand how a small lie that you feel justified in telling your wife or boss or friend about where you've been or what you've done or how much you've spent could possibly make a difference in anything. But the error in your way, the problem in your wrongdoing is that you haven't listened to the Father's voice. In Colossians 3.9, it says, do not lie to each other. The only way that we can rejoice in the truth is when it becomes our standard for living. And the enemy would love to convince you that there's another way. He would love for you to think, well, it's just this one area that you're struggling It's just this one area that you're compromising, and it's really not that big of a deal. But we know his game plan. He wants to bring about a death in any area of your life, to steal, kill, or destroy. And he's patient enough that if you'll just crack the door, you know, if you'll just give him a little bit of room of compromise or of gray where you think, well, this this could be okay, he'll wait until he can bring about a death in your life. And that small lie, that little area of consequence will serve as a buffer to your heart that will allow you to grow more comfortable in telling a much bigger lie or doing something much greater later on. The second thing that I have to do in order to love with integrity is get comfortable with conflict. Get comfortable with conflict. Now, some of us in hearing that, we think that means to get competent in handling conflict. We think that means I need to to learn, I need to know how to handle conflict, when the reality is these are two very different things. I have meetings almost every week with people that are older than me or smarter than me or, or just different than me, and I don't have a clue what to say or how to handle it. So I'll be in my office with the door closed and the blinds pulled on my face. Some folks will think I'm sleeping. I'm not, okay? I'm praying, God, please give me wisdom here. Help me see them with your eyes. Help me to love them with your heart. God, would you give me the words to say? And for me, it's so hard because I used to be not confrontational at all, you know? But over the last few years, I've seen that it's one of the primary vehicles that God uses to bring about growth and transformation in our lives. In order for us to experience the abundant life that Christ came to offer, we're going to have to walk through a lot of conflict. And as you begin to recognize the danger of wrongdoing, we're going to have to do something about it. Generally, in the church, this is an area where we struggle. Some of us avoid conflict like the plague. We do not want to do anything about it. We would rather come home and cry ourselves to sleep at night than confront the person who's treating us wrong at work. 
You know, for some of us, we've been coming home to, for years to a spouse that feels much more like a roommate than a lover or a friend. And we would rather keep it that way than do the hard work of going to, to see a counselor or find a mentor or bring about any kind of change in our, in our relationship. Some of you thrive on conflict. You love it. We get letters here at the church almost weekly about how it was too hot or too cold or the, the, the coffee was too light or too bold or the music was too loud. One week we got a letter saying the pastor's shirt looked like it came from a garage sale. <laughs> that's not even confrontational. That's just mean. <laughs> we may need to step off the conflict just a little bit. Some of us really try to handle it biblically. We'll pray about it. We'll, we'll search out our own hearts. We'll really want to handle it appropriately. We'll go and confront the person. We'll pray about it and, and have the meeting, but then change doesn't come. And we get so frustrated and we throw in the towel and we say, God, I did what I was supposed to do. But the truth is you only started the process. You didn't follow the steps laid out in Matthew chapter 18. So the question for us then is how do we get comfortable with conflict? How do we get comfortable with conflict? And the first thing that we have to do is humbly confess our wrongdoing. Humbly confess our wrongdoing. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. When Katie and I were dating and engaged, uh, we did a lot of things. Not too many things, but uh, a lot of things. And one of the things we did not do was create a culture of confession in our relationship. Honestly, because I didn't see the importance of it. I had never really confessed things in the past to folks, largely because of the confrontation piece. So in our relationship, I didn't know what to say, how to say it, how much do I not say, all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't until we had several little doors that were cracked that the enemy came in and nearly brought about death and destruction in our relationship. And it wasn't until a lot of time spent with mentor couples and going to see counselors that we could figure out what does it mean for us to create a culture of confession in our home. And that's just a plug for some of you for marriage counseling. Man, you think that I'm going to become that couple or we're going to be those people if we step out and need help. But man, it was one of the most transformational experiences we ever had. Guys, especially for us, we're typically just not good at confession. I'll be sitting in a Starbucks or a coffee shop working on something and there'll be some girls sitting beside me and I'm accidentally eavesdropping and uh, the girl will say, I'm just jealous of you, you know? You would never in your life hear a dude say something like that. You know? <laughs> For a bunch of different reasons. One, because girls, your word count is just greater. You say a lot more in a given day. You can identify all these emotions, and guys have like four, you know? Or angry, or sad, or jealous, or scared, you know? And seldom will we ever admit that we're scared. And so maybe, maybe it's just three. The other day I was driving home, and uh, for me, most of the time it's trivial stuff. I was driving home and I thought, man, I could really use a spicy chicken sandwich. So I drove through the drive-thru and got me a spicy chicken sandwich. And about the time I got to the, the, the little mic where you order, I realized I could also use a Frosty. You know? <laughs> so I ordered my Frosty and sandwich. I ate them on the way home and I walked inside and Katie had ordered a big meal. I mean, cooked a big meal. She didn't order it. She cooked it. And uh, she said, babe, dinner's on the table. You hadn't already eaten, have you? I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know? <laughs> So I ate dinner for a second time and finished it. I'm like, oh gosh, you know. The whole time I'm thinking, you gotta tell her, you can't tell her, you gotta tell her, you can't tell her until it finally comes out, I had a sandwich, you know. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, Anna Frosty. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
It's those, those trivial things, the small lies that you think make absolutely no different, difference. And that in the moment, maybe they don't, you know. But in the long run, the more comfortable you get with those small ones, the greater the enemy could sneak in and have you tell a big one later. The truth is we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to fall short. And if we're going to receive forgiveness in our lives, if we're going to experience healing, then we have to know that confession is going to be part of the equation. The second thing that I have to do to get comfortable with conflict is humbly confront the wrongdoing of others. Humbly confront the wrongdoing of others. And it's very important for us to notice the order here. Before we go confronting the wrongdoing of others, it's important for us to search out our own hearts. To say, God, is this really their issue? You know, is there something that I'm dealing with? Uh, Is there any unconfessed sin or wrongdoing in my life? It may not have anything to do with the issue that you're confronting them about. But in order for you to be a tool, for you to be used by God to bring about forgiveness or healing or or transformation in another person's life, you have to be willing of doing the hard work of, of humbly confessing and confronting your wrongdoing first. Matthew 5 says it this way, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see more clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But after you have done the hard work of evaluating your own heart, you have to be willing to confront the wrongdoing of others. I want to introduce you to my friend named Justin Hobson. About 10 years ago, a little over a week after starting his dream job, he was confronted with corruption within the organization that he was working for and really felt called to do something about it. But in order for him to confront them, it was going to cost him everything. The state of New Jersey is paying a $400,000 settlement to a former state trooper. He claimed that he was being harassed by a secret group of rogue officers known as the Lords of Discipline. Hey, that's my badge. That's Daddy's badge. The most important thing that I've ever done in my career, and I've investigated fatal accidents and homicides and child abuse and suicides and narcotics, but the most important thing I've ever done in my career was challenge the Lords of Discipline and to really be a catalyst for change. And I felt that that's how God wanted to use me. Uh, It was not easy. It was... It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. When I went into the academy, um, I went in with the hopes and aspirations of helping people, protecting and serving. Well, unfortunately, with only 11 days on the job, I witnessed my training officer unlawfully arrest a 22-year-old girl for drunk driving. Problem was, she wasn't behind the wheel. In fact, she was in the back seat. Okay. Why don't you uh, turn around and put your hands behind your back for me? You're going to be under arrest for DWI. Oh, when I witnessed this, um, I had a rush of emotion. Um, a, the arrest was caught on videotape. B, um, I'm new, I'm a rookie. Do I speak up? Do I shut up? Um, and C, I need to do 
what's right. I need to do what's constitutional. I said, sir, you had no right to arrest the female, and I will not testify in court to support the arrest. Once that got around the state police station that you know, Trooper Hobson, he doesn't have your back, um, the attitude of the fellow troopers that I worked with not only changed, but I encountered police corruption. The lords of discipline have been around for decades. I was physically assaulted. I was ostracized. My personal vehicle was vandalized. There were hate notes left around. My reports were stolen. Uh, I would receive prank telephone calls at ridiculous hours. I feared for my safety. I wasn't sure if I was going to get back up on a car stop. I became paranoid. I secured a handgun within arm's reach at all times. My dream job became my worst nightmare. The lawsuit lasted five years. Five years of battling in and out of court against the state police. And there were some days where I, I felt that God wasn't there for me. I would question, hey, you know, here I did something uh, that you would be proud of and something that I needed to do. But I feel hopeless, you know. God, where are you? This talks about when Daddy took on the state police. I believe that I the challenge integrity. of integrity is it's hard. Yeah. You can't rely on someone else to do it. You have to make the difference. You have to stand up because if you don't, no one else will. That's what the world is waiting for. The world is waiting for just one person, just like you, just like me, to stand up and act with integrity. You may not have cheated on a final or addressed corruption uh, within an organization, but it's important for us to remember that when you're experiencing conflict, whether through confessing of sin or confronting of sin, you do not control the outcome. For me, it meant being extended forgiveness, uh, being told congratulations on my graduation to go and sin no more. Yet for Justin, and confronting wrongdoing, it literally cost him everything. Whatever the outcome, we can stand confident rejoicing in the truth when we're willing to respond in obedience, to confess or to confront, knowing that we're living in the light and that our conscience is clear. In 1 Timothy 9, when Paul is challenging Timothy to fight the good fight, he tells him to hold on to faith and a clear conscience. And then he tells him in verse 19 that some have rejected these and in doing so have shipwrecked their faith. If your conscience is compelling you to confess or confront something, it may well be the Spirit of God at work inside of you. And by your rejecting it or, or unwilling to do it, you're grieving the Spirit of God inside of you and may well be robbing yourself of all God has for you. Lastly, I can love with integrity when I decide to be a truth chaser. I can love with integrity when I decide to be a truth chaser. One of my favorite passages that captures the heart of a truth chaser is found in Proverbs chapter 2. It's there on your outline sheet, and as we read it, I want you to just circle or underline all the action words that we read. It says, My son, if you accept my words 
if you store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do you hear all those action words in that verse? This is not a passage for the idle man. Deciding to be a man or a woman who chase after the truth is going to require some vision on your part. It's going to require making some decisions before you start the day. That when I'm confronted with an opportunity to step into a gray area or enter into something that I could justify or may feel right in, that I'm going to choose to stand up under the truth. That I'm going to choose to live in the light. What was the last thing that you chased after? You know, maybe it was a spouse. The day before you met her, you were totally content on being single. But the day after, you could not imagine your life without her. You know, you didn't even own an iron before. You tumbled your clothes. <laughs> That's pathetic. Right. Now you've bought an iron. You've, you're ironing your clothes. You're learning the difference between gel and mousse and hairspray. You hadn't really cleaned out your car in a while, but now you're cleaning hers out as well. The chase is on. Or maybe it's with a house. Katie and I are about to have our fifth child, and I don't think we've broken any DSS regulations yet regarding spatial requirements, you know, but we're close. And so the chase is on, man. I'm looking in the MLS at night. I'm flipping through Craigslist, praying for God to show us where he would have us be the best deal. I'm driving home from work at the end of the day. If I even pass a neighborhood that remotely, you know, looks like we could live in it, I'm pulling in, stopping to talk to neighbors. What do you like about living here? Why did you move here? Would you move? I'm like, who is this guy? You know? <laughs> but the chase is on. I'm looking for a place. We want to be a people who are chasing after the truth. You do not want to live your life in such a way where the truth has to come crashing in. Because when there's a crash of any kind, you run the risk of bringing about much more danger to you and those around you than God ever would have intended. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So what does it look like for us to be a truth chaser? You know, I think a great place to start would be at the top of our outline sheets. For us to decide that we're going to people, be a people who love with integrity, that I'm going to be willing to, to confess the wrongdoing in my life. I'm not going to stuff it behind me or, or, you know, try to stuff it down somewhere and not deal with it. I'll willingly confess it. I'll humble myself. That after having done that, that I'm going to have the courage, that I'm going to be bold enough to confront the wrongdoing, to confront the injustice that I see around me. The more that I hold my life up to the truth of Scripture, I'm going to see just how much I drop the ball. And I'll have the courage to step out, to stand in the light, to stand up under the truth. At the end of Justin's video, he said, what the world is waiting to see is a man or a woman, just like you or me, respond with integrity. And I think he's right. That word, that word integrity means to be honest or have a heart that's undivided. I think the world, I think our community, our families are waiting to see a man or a woman, waiting to see a church whose hearts are undivided, a people who are living fully in the light, who are standing up under the truth. The Bible tells us that God is love and that in him there is no darkness. And scripture tells us that we are called to be ambassadors for Christ, that we're called to be representatives of the king. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John were before the Sanhedrin, uh, it says they were unschooled, ordinary men, and the people were astounded by their courage and took note that they had been with Jesus. People are supposed to come away from having experienced us 
having been loved in such a way that they're like, man, that girl is different. That guy is different. And if there's unconfessed wrongdoing, unconfessed sin in your life, if there's injustice around you that you're unwilling to confront, then not only are you not experiencing the forgiveness and the healing that God intends for you, but you're rendering yourself unable to be used by Him to bring about change in the life of others. Let's be a people who live in the light. Be a people who are willing to stand up under the truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this morning, God. And again, I'm just humbled by how we can come away changed forever after one moment with you. God, I pray for each of us today, Lord, that you would shine a light on those areas of wrongdoing in our life. Lord, your word tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. God, that we don't have to wait until you return to walk in victory, that even today we could experience heaven on earth by humbling ourselves, by stepping into the light. God, that we would experience your power, your love for us in a fresh and and, and new way. God, I pray that you would so radically grip our hearts, convict us this morning that we would not walk out of this place without doing business with you. That we would experience your love, God, and then, then be able to share it with others. In Jesus' name. Amen.